<laughs> oh, my friends. It is so perfect and also somewhat comical to me that we are in this Fruit of the Spirit series um, while also in this season of life and world events that we find ourselves in. There might not be a more appropriate time to be talking about love and its various manifestations than in the midst of a global pandemic, um, economic uncertainty, and the social unrest with racism at the forefront that we are experiencing simultaneously right now. We, uh, we had no idea what June was going to look like when we decided to do this series back in late April. And so... Uh, <laughs> I can't help but laugh at God's leading and goodness and his like kind of winking at us, knowing that, that these things are things that we would need to be thinking about and hearing about these days. And I wish we were together talking about these things. I have a very real fear that, that my office wall is the only recipient of these talks. Not that what I'm saying is the end-all and be-all of any of the topics that we ever talk about, but I know that it's been so helpful and so good for me to be contemplating and meditating on these things over the past few weeks that I, I just, I hope that that's still being spread to all of you through these recordings as we continue to um, <laughs> gather together while being scattered. So, tonight, we're continuing, as I said, our Fruit of the Spirit series, which is based on Galatians 5, verses 13 through 22, which goes a little something like this. You, my sisters and brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So again, Paul is saying you were made to be free. Aim your life in the direction of love and move toward it. Or aim your life in the direction of death and move toward it. Those are your choices. Two choices, spirit or flesh, both vying for influence over you, both offering two different directions to aim your life toward. One leads to death and one leads to the fruit of the spirit, which is love. Like light passing through a prism, creating a rainbow of colors, love is, is expressed in all kinds of wonderful ways, like joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, just to name a few. 
Tonight, we're exploring that second color of the spectrum of love, peace. Like the past few weeks, we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about what peace is. Um, we're going to talk about obstacles to peace in our lives, and then we'll end with how we can counter those obstacles and and cultivate peace in our relationships. What is peace? What do you think of when you hear someone say peace? This is kind of weird, <laughs> but the very first things that come into my mind are first the color green, and then peas. Peas, like the vegetable. <laughs> uh, when I was little, I thought <laughs> I thought people were saying peas when they'd say peace. And uh, so it's like stuck in my brain. <laughs> anyway, when someone talks about peace, we usually think of the absence of conflict, right? We usually think peace be- is the cessation of tension or turmoil or fighting or war. But peace is so much more than this. Peace is not just the cessation of conflict. Peace is shalom. That's the Hebrew word for it, um, which carries a a sense of completion, of wholeness, of original goodness. Professor of theology and philosophy, Philip D. Kennison, defines peace as the state of well-being, wholeness, and harmony that infuses all of one's relationships. That last part, it being relational, is really key. Peace is not merely something between, something within yourself, a mental serenity or, or a peace of mind. It's not just that. Instead, peace is, is a way of life. It's a posture that we take towards others, which is why it's a manifestation of love. In Colossians 3, Paul calls us to clothe ourselves in love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony or peace. Peace is the binding agent of love. So in the Old Testament, peace, or again, shalom, is understood to only be possible when it is established and sustained by God. It is a God-given state of relational wholeness between us and him and among his people. In the New Testament, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection inaugurates a, a reign of peace seen through the reconciliation that he brings between God and humanity once and for all, which in turn makes our reconciliation with each other, um, peace between us, all of us, possible. Reconciliation is the work of establishing peace that we are called to. This is peace, wholeness and harmony infused in all of one's relationships, achieved through undertaking this work of reconciliation. So, if that's what peace is, what prevents us from cultivating it? What are obstacles to peace? Paul lists a lot of them in that Galatians 5 passage that we read. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Today, we see hatred and discord and dissensions and factions all the time in our culture's obsession with grouping people into... uh, grouping people based on unalterable physical traits, particularly skin color, and then treating that group, all those people as a monolith, ignoring and devaluing the individual agency of each person encompassed in that group. 
to put a finer point on it, racism is a huge obstacle to peace. Anytime we're dividing ourselves up by race and ascribing a hierarchy of value, we are countering peace. Categorizing everyone of a given race as having the same thoughts and same feelings and same actions and same experiences is wrong and is an obstacle to cultivating peace. Now, at this point, I think it's helpful to remember that when we're talking about peace, we're not talking about a negative peace. That is to say, I'm not talking about peace being the mere cessation of or absence of tension and conflict. I'm talking about positive peace, true peace, true shalom, where justice and fairness and mutuality and respect and humility and love characterize our relationships. Racism is the antithesis of that. Racism is hatred. Obviously, in our country, black people have suffered a prolonged and acute form of this kind of hatred. And living in a majority white culture means it can be easy for those of us who are white to not see all the ways that racism shows up. And racism is not an American invention. It's as old as humanity is. In just the last century alone, racism has reared its ugly head in truly horrifying ways around the world through the many genocides that have taken place. The Holocaust, the, Ru the Rwandan genocide, the Bosnian genocide, the Cambodian genocide, the Soviet genocide at the hands of Stalin. I myself am only alive today because of a genocide. Members of my family left Armenia um, for America, fleeing the Armenian genocide that took place in the 1910s. I and half of my family only exist because of racism that de devolved into genocide. Hatred motivating attempts to exterminate a group of humans. And while I'm very thankful to be alive, my family's history was irreparably altered due to this hatred. This hatred that resulted in slaughtering more than a million of my people. That was a hundred years ago. Over a hundred years ago. In a different country. On a different continent. So it's easy to feel like... Uh, it's easy for that to feel like an abstract and distant reality. But there are still people living in our country whose day-to-day -day lives are affected by and diminished by racism. We cannot cultivate peace, shalom, harmony and wholeness, and simultaneously tolerate the injustice of racism. As the people of God, we're called to be different. We are called to reject these kinds of divisions and valuations assigned along racial lines, assigned along gender lines, along ethnic or socioeconomic or political lines all the lines that we like to divide ourselves up with. As the people of God, we are all one body. So when one part suffers, we all suffer. If one part of the body is saying, hey, me and lots of people that look like me are having this negative experience over and over. We keep being treated unfairly. We keep being held back. We keep being held down. We need to take that seriously and get to the bottom of it and make it right. And I'm encouraged by, um, it seems, much of America being dedicated to rejecting racism in its many forms. And at the same time, I fear that in the name of fighting a particular form of racism, we're allowing other racism to grow. I haven't addressed this before, but, but 
I feel like I'm seeing it so much that I really can't not address it anymore. There's this growing belief that used to be on the fringes, but has now recently gone mainstream in our society that I'm seeing more and more being advocated for in the name of social justice and fighting racism, which essentially says that to be white is to be racist. That if you're white, you're born a racist. And some even I've seen um, suggesting that that isn't changeable. There's nothing you can do about it. It's who you are if you are white. I honestly don't really care what color of skin is being talked about there. Treating any group of people as intrinsically evil and irredeemable based on an unalterable physical trait is hate, is racist. It's wrong. It doesn't matter who's being talked about. Fill in any skin color there. These assertions are always misguided, always racist, always wrong, and always antithetical to peace. We're not going to defeat racism with racism. Now, I know, according to these new definitions of racism, white supremacy that are quickly becoming mainstream, critical race theorists would say that in what I just said, I'm proving my fragility and my racism, which is fine. They can say whatever they want. Flat earthers call me ignorant. Scientologists say I'm not clear. Fundamentalist Christians call me a heretic and a heathen. I can't control what other people think and say about me. Thankfully, other people's labels don't define objective reality, including the condition of my heart or your heart. What I believe is that all of us have God-given agency to learn and grow and change. None of us is beyond redemption. All of us have God-given agency to aim our lives and move toward or away from love. And so, I believe it's our responsibility to, vigil <laughs> to vigilantly root out all hatred for others, particularly racism, true racism, assigning value to the color of one's skin um, with some being more valuable than others, that racism. Individually and as a community following the way of Jesus, it's our job to walk with the spirit towards love, which means walking away from the flesh, walking away from hatred, away from discord, away from selfish ambition, away from dissensions, away from factions, and away from racism in any form. In Ephesians 2, in talking about the racial divide between Jews and Gentiles, Paul writes, For Christ himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. God has brought peace, wholeness, harmony to our relationship with him by reconciling us back to him. And in so doing, he made reconciliation between us, between each other, possible. We are one humanity. God calls us to reconcile ourselves to each other, to take up what Paul calls the ministry of reconciliation in 2 Corinthians, or the gospel of peace in Ephesians. We need to dismantle hate. We need to walk toward love. We need to cultivate peace. How? <laughs> How do we go about 
cultivating wholeness and harmony in a culture that is intent on division. Well, before we tackle that question, I want to address something here. In all of these discussions of the fruit of the spirit, it can feel like love and its various manifestations are something that we have to strive really hard to cultivate in our lives. Like it's our job to work really hard at manifesting these attributes in our lives, which kind of just feels like trying really hard to be good people. That's confusing because we also talk about love being the fruit or the natural outcome of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Like last week, we talked about how joy isn't something that we pursue in and of itself, but then we also talked about ways to cultivate more joy in our lives. That can be confusing. What's going on here? Is this something that we're responsible for working to make happen or something that just kind of happens to us? I think the original metaphor of a tree growing fruit is really helpful here. I have a little pear tree in my backyard. Some years it grows fruit, some years it doesn't, but no matter what, I don't control that. I'm not responsible for or can take credit for the fact that this tree bears fruit. I didn't design trees. I don't get in there and make things happen inside the tree. It does it all without me. However, I can create favorable conditions to foster growth for that tree. I can water it. I can fertilize the soil. I can create an environment in which it will better do what it naturally does. This is the same way it works with us. We're not responsible for the fact that we bear fruit. It's just how we were designed by God. God makes the fruit grow. We can create favorable conditions to foster that growth, or we can create hostile conditions that inhibit and prevent that growth. So what are some ways that we can create conditions that foster peace? What can we do to help cultivate love expressed through peace in our lives? Again, I'm not an expert in this, but I have a few ideas. And the first is to reject the way that our culture and society try to identify us and divide us up along racial, gender, age, socioeconomic, and ethnic lines, just to name a few. There's millions. None of these are your identity. They might be parts of your identity, but they are not fundamentally your entire identity. None of these are meaningful categories of, of division within the body of Christ that should not be divided. In him, we are one new humanity. There is no us versus them. There's only us. And some of the cries for unity and solidarity sounding in our culture right now, there are hidden subtly and subversively messages that are sowing discord. Be discerning, affirm the unity and reject the division. Secondly, we need to humble ourselves. Paul writes in Philippians 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Have the same mindset as Christ towards you as you have towards others. 
valuing others above ourselves, looking to the interest of others means being willing to put down defending our rights to take up defending someone else's. To stop insisting that our view or our experience is right or total truth, and instead being willing to consider and see things through the eyes of another. I'm saying this to all of us. I'm saying this to me. If each of us is looking out for the well-being of others, we'll all be taken care of. If each of us is valuing others above ourselves, then peace, then wholeness and harmony, then love will flourish among us. Lastly, to cultivate more peace in our lives, we need to reconcile with each other. That means being quick to confess when we've wronged someone. It means keeping short accounts and bringing it to someone's attention when we feel that we've been wronged by them. And it also means being quick to forgive one another. Peace, shalom, wholeness, and harmony, are all of this is rooted in God's relentless grace for us. God has forgiven us and calls us to extend that forgiveness to all people in our lives. Reconciliation through the act of forgiveness is a very direct way in which we reclaim and restore shalom, peace in the world. May we be people who are rooted in abiding in love rather than disintegrating in factions and dissensions and hatred and discord. May we be people who are marked and characterized by the humble and reconciling peace of love itself. May our peace counter messages of division and hate. May we abide rooted and growing in the love of love itself. Amen.